Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Hello, marketers. Hello, business leaders. I am Randy Frisch, and I had the pleasure this week of welcoming Latney Conant to The Marketer's Journey. Now, her journey is really interesting on a couple of fronts, and you'll hear all about this in this week's podcast. Number one, she started her career more in sales, more in working with accounts, and then eventually moved into marketing, where she's now the CMO at a company called Sixth Sense, a company where my company, Uberflip, actually has a really close partner with. But you know, the scale at which she's operated in the past and now operating now just shows her flexibility. She actually calls it fluidity that she looks for in people versus flexibility. But I'll let you hear how she talks about that. A couple things that you'll hear in this episode. Number one is just kind of the mindset that she has about how she chooses the right companies. And she talks a lot about this idea of choosing companies with the right cause. That's in the first part. The second part, if you've ever heard the acronym V2MUM or you don't know it, it comes from you know the world of Salesforce and Benioff, how she's implemented that to drive better adoption of big ideas and you know seeking, again, that big cause. So without further ado, here we go. My good friend, the CMO, Latney Connick. Hey, Ladney, welcome to the podcast, The Marketer's Journey. We are going to unpack your journey here. Let us, let's start, though, with what you're doing today. Tell us a little bit about what it means to be the CMO of a company called Sixth Sense. Sure. So I'm the CMO of Sixth Sense, and we are an account-based orchestration platform. And what that means for me is I eat, sleep, and breathe everything account-based marketing, which is a lot of fun. We are, for the most part, enterprise and mid-market from a kind of sales and marketing motion, which I think is important for people to understand when you talk about some of the tactics and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I have gotten to really build the team here at Sixth Sense. So it's been a little over a year. And when I started, it was really just one person on the marketing team. Which is fascinating um, to me because I've always thought you guys are so much bigger. And even now, how big is it now? It's still amazing what you accomplish. It's seven people now. It's seven. But it feels to me sometimes like it's 70 when I see you guys at you know, an event like Serious Decisions. and We are a motley crew. <laughs> It is really impressive. No, it's uh, I, I love the lean mentality and, and all that you're able to take on. It's, it's really impressive. Have you always had to be that lean with your marketing team? No. So it's, it's been interesting for me because I came from a company called Aperio and Aperio was, you know, 2000 plus people, almost 300 million in revenue. And I had at any given time, call it 40 or 50 people uh, around the world on my marketing team. So it was a little bit of a record scratch for me (laughs) coming into Sixth Sense, but I just, I fell in love with the technology and I had felt like at Aperio and having my own account-based marketing pilots that were pretty lackluster, I, I just felt like, oh my gosh, if only I had known about this then. 
and I really believed in, in the technology. And then, you know, as a CMO, I think the most important relationship is between you and the CEO and then the other executive team. And I just remember going into all of my interviews at Sixth Sense and being like, do I need to leave? Why don't I just stay? <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling so at home. Um, so th- that was great. And then I think the other thing that was important to me was I had been through an acquisition, which I know we were talking about a little bit earlier. And it was time for a lot of us to recreate ourselves. And I'm a big believer in um, kind of reinventing yourself and recreation and, you know, always staying kind of fresh and learning new things. And so there was a group of folks who I knew were itching to do something new and interesting. And so I was looking for a company where I knew that they would need to, for me to come in and build a team. And, And I had a lot of people that wanted to, I'm very honored that they wanted to follow me and work with me again. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And, and I, I've run into other people who you've worked with along the ways and, and they always talk very highly of the, of the time, you know, a lot of that being at Aperio and, and, you know, we're getting to work with your team now again, and, and they're all fans. So a couple of things stand out for me when I look at your resume, if you will, like if I pull, if anyone pulls you up on LinkedIn and takes a look, there's two things that stand out for me. And I, I want to hit on both of these over the next 10 minutes. One is you've got relatively long tenures in organizations, you know, given the type of companies that you've been with. And the other factor that kind of kind of compounds on both on that point is that the roles you've had are both sales and marketing roles, which again, in those roles, we usually associate like two years and then, you know, hit the door, find your next gig. Maybe you can talk about, first of all, your belief in terms of staying with companies and getting them to these exciting next steps, like you saw with the Perio having an exit. Yeah. And this is such an interesting question because actually when I interviewed and, you know, when I decided that I wanted my next opportunity, recruiters and, you know, potential job offers thought it was strange, my tenure and thought there was something wrong. Right. Which just shows you, in my opinion, how effed up the industry is. But for me, I don't choose an opportunity based on the role per se. I look for a cause, not a job. Okay. And so... Tell tell people maybe a little bit, what do you mean by a cause? I look for something that I am so excited about and I really believe in almost like a religion and will do anything to work at that company and be a part of that company and be a part of the story. And so for me, it's a cause. And whether I am consulting at that company, whether I'm a first line seller at that company, whether I am marketing for that company, I want to do it. And so that's how every single step in my career has been. And I've always somewhat taken a step back on paper when I joined a new place, but I didn't care because I really believed that that company was doing something transformational. Like if you look at Ariba, I mean, I started in accounting, which is so boring. And I knew I was colossally bored and terrible at it because I'm dyslexic. But I knew this, this Ariba partnership we had at Arthur Anderson 
So I took every certification I could to learn Ariba. And then I called the partner up at Arthur and I said, I, I have more certifications than anyone on your team. Please, I will do it. I will get coffee for the other consultants. I just want to be on the Ariba team. How big and, was Ariba at this point? So well, I, I made my entry into Ariba through Arthur Anderson and our, our partnership. But I mean, it was, it was pre-bubble. Okay. Okay. Um, but I believed in it and I believed in using accounting and data and, you know, the internet to connect buyers and suppliers in a much more efficient manner. I mean, it sounds dorky, but I thought it was really cool. And so the first part of my career is all Ariba and I, you know, client side at Ariba, selling Ariba, anything to do with it. And then Ariba got bought by SAP and SAP is a great company, but that wasn't a cause for me. That felt like a job. It's fair. And it was time to find a new cause. And I met Chris Barbin, the CEO of Aperio. And he said, we are changing consulting forever. We think that Accenture and Deloitte and these big bloated projects have it all wrong. And we're going to do things totally different. And there are these great cloud companies called Salesforce and Workday. And they're going to change the tech and we're going to change the services. And I was like, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good cause. To, sure. to your so, um, so, so how do you, I, like digging in there though, right? Because I, I mean, you have been with these companies for long tenures and, and they've, they've been extremely successful. And, and I have no doubt when I look at what success is promise and, and vision and cause is, is that it's going to be the same, but you know, a lot of us are pitched by recruiters, by our peers on why every business could be that next big cause. How do you determine when you're looking at these opportunities, whether it's the right opportunity to join, like, you know, I, I, other than a little bit of luck that you've had, how do you work through that process yourself? A lot of it is people. So I wish that I could say I have some, you know, rule of 40 power index, take the growth plus or minus the loss and profitability. And, you know, I've been schooled in all the PE ratios and that I look at the CAC and ARR and, but a lot of it comes down to the vision and the people, especially the operators. And so I felt like the team of people who were the operators at Arthur Anderson and then went on to lead Ariba were people that were brilliant and going to be able to navigate change and also going to be able to operate a company well. And then the, you know, the same thing for when I met Chris Barbin, because while he's a very, very visionary man, he had another Chris, Chris Heineken, who was the operator. Vision is one thing. And, and I say ideas are easy. Execution is actually hard. So I look for, are these people that are going to have brilliant game-changing ideas, but how many game-changing ideas do we hear about a lot, but do they have the chops and the operational capability to actually execute on this idea and do it in like a financially kind of prudent way? I love, I absolutely love that point. It's, 
it's funny, I mean, not to bring my kids into this conversation because we're talking about more careers, but my son all the time has these ideas for things that he wants to invent. He's 12 years old. But, you know, and then when I tell him that, you know, at first, sometimes that these ideas exist, he gets discouraged. But I remind him, like, it's, it doesn't matter that they exist. It's how you execute on them, right? Like, execute better or be the first to execute, and then you can win. And Absolutely. You know, I, I think even about, you know, my fortune and, you know, being being with a co-founder here where we complement each other in the exact same way that you just described there, which is that combination of ability to execute and see what's, you know, see where we have to take a company. I'm going to get into the weeds of the question because I, I think some people are are curious somewhat as you describe this. You know, how many meetings does it take versus how much gut is there in that? Because... You know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I recently hired a, a marketing leader on my team. And there's this element of you want to go slowly because you want to make sure that that person is the right fit. But you also have to move quickly because the market moves so quickly once someone is a free agent, if you will. How long do you take and how do you make sure that you get to that comfort level? So I try to keep my band together at all costs and always have a connection to the folks that that I hire. And I also tend to, which drives my CFO crazy, I tend to find a great person who I know I want on the team. Like I have to have this person. And then I design the org. (laughs) Okay. To make sure to bring them in. Because I find that if you just have people that, again, are on the cause, not a job, because I'm going to work your ass off, or you're going to work your ass off. I'm not, I don't tell anyone to do anything, but you're going to want to work your ass off if you're the right person. That they will find, we will rally around a goal or a vision, and we use a framework called V2Mom, and people will take all of their unique skills and energy and bring it together in a, in a magical way. But I look more for the right types of people versus you're going to be in this role forever and ever. And that's even a unique type of person. So I don't look for people that say, I want to stamp this stamp and that's my bag. I look for people that are like, I have crushed stamping and I can keep stamping, but guess what? I'm totally fine with using my mojo to do this or that or something else. And, you know, I say it's not about being flexible. It's about being fluid. Flexibility is too rigid. (laughs) On that note, because I don't even know where I fucking go from there. uh, Sorry. (laughs) It's amazing. We're going to drop the mic on that. We're going to take a quick break here on the podcast. And then I want to, I want to dig in on what is the V2 mom. And maybe that's part of how you think about, creating this journey for your ultimate customers. We'll be right back here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to 
empower their go-to-market strategies. And we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. All right, Lottie. So you dropped us with the term V2 mom. And now some people probably know what that is. Some people are curious. Why don't you unpack it for us? Where do we begin? So V2 mom stands for vision and values. That's the V2. Okay. And mom is supposed to stand for methods, obstacles, and metrics. I don't believe in obstacles, so I make the O owners. And I'll explain that to you in a second. Okay. But but basically, the V2 mom originated at Salesforce because when Mark looked at all of the strategic planning methodologies and tools, he didn't think they really worked for high growth companies because they were very static. Typically, they were annual plans. They didn't trickle down and they didn't really allow for enough agility and they didn't do a great enough job of explaining the why. And in my first segment, you know, we talked about the cause, not a job. And so that's why the first two parts of V2Mom are so powerful. And so why, why are we even talking about this? I think as a leader, our job is to set the priorities inspire the why, be very measurable so we can make sure we're hitting results. That's the salesperson in me. And then kind of get out of the way. And I think that if you don't have alignment on across the executive team and then, you know, down downstream with your function, it feels like chaos and work for work's sake and you don't see the progress. And so V2Mom is a, is a tool that I have used successfully now at two companies to help us with that alignment. And the way that kind of comes, I think the best way to describe it is with an example. So we are in Q4 right now. So every quarter I refresh the V2Mom with my team. To clarify the team being your marketing team or also your executive team? The executive team, we do a refresh every six months. Okay. So, um, so let's start there. So let's start there. So the beginning of the year, we have a two or three day offsite. One day is dedicated to V2Mom. We owe that to our employees and our constituents to be able to give them a unified vision of where we're going. Everything is time bound. So we decided that our vision was going to be a two year vision, which, which would be to, um, basically build a next generation platform for sales and marketing powered by AI. So that is our two-year vision. Under that, we have specific values that we follow, right? So this is how we make decisions. And so that's the V2. And then under that are the methods. And the interesting thing about the methods is, and our methods are every six months. So they're all time bound. They all have an owner. And they all have three or four things to measure if you're red, yellow, green across those methods. And we report out every two weeks to the Sixth Sense team on how are we red, yellow, green across those methods to reach that vision. And then every two weeks, one of us that owns a method does a deep dive on exactly how we are achieving that. Now, what's great about this is V2Mom is not about run the business. So it's not things like, 
meet our ARR goal. While those are part of the vision, V2 mom type methods are more about changing the business. So one might be to create a partner ecosystem, a very robust partner ecosystem. And then we would have specific, and that, that is one, and that's tied to Shriari. And then he has specific objectives that he measures red, yellow, green on how we're doing with our partner ecosystem, for example. And it's as much about what's on the V2 mom as which what's not on the V2 mom. Because in startup land, nothing's perfect. We're not going to be able to do it all. And so what we have to be able to do is say, what are we not doing so that we can achieve these things? I love that. Uh, a great framework. So, and for those who are trying to figure out where this falls into their organization, you know, there's other models like OKRs. I, I assume you're familiar with OKRs. Have you seen this work better than an OKR? OKRs sometimes get more into the measurable asset, whereas this almost sounds a little bit like an MBO, like management by objective type of approach. I don't tie V2Mom to comp in any way, shape, or form. I use it more as a change the business prioritization tool. And even when I advise, I'm, I'm on a couple in, in advisory capacity to companies, like the first thing I ask the CMO is where's your V2Mom? How do we put you together your V2Mom? Because I want to know the things that you are going to prioritize and I want to see what you're not going to prioritize. So I would say if you are a leader at any level, I would learn about it and even just do it for yourself because otherwise it's easy to get, we talked about execution and finding good operators and executioners and the key is focus. Absolutely. No, it's interesting. And I, I like this a lot as well because I think sometimes, you know, this, this part of the segment, we usually end up talking about the buyer journey and it's, it's one where when you speak to some marketers, more of the weeds, they struggle to, to emphasize the importance of every stage of the buyer journey if they can't show the ROI at each stage, which is something we all have to get to. But I would argue that, that to a degree, you know, putting that as, as potentially you know, one, of, one of the methods that you're going to focus on in terms of uniting this buyer journey allows you to think more about what you're trying to achieve as a whole. Exactly. Or there could be an instance where you say, you know what, we just want to I, I talk about finding the red. So we've analyzed our journey and we see that actually we're fine. We've got enough people to talk to and we've got too many meetings. We have to do a better job converting or we have to do a better job closing or we want to grow our, you know, ASP. So those are V2 mom type priorities and it helps you break things down and say this quarter this is what we're doing and we're going to accomplish it versus, Oh my God, we've got to dissect the whole journey. You'll never get anything done. It's too much. With a team of seven people uh, <laughs> versus the team of how many was it at, at a period? It was it depended on. Yeah, it was, it was large. We were, I mean, it was how just many, a totally different scale. How many of the, I think it was methods you referred to. Would, would you kind of, meter between one group or the other like how many can can a team wrap their head around uh, which is a, a debate that I'll, I'll be honest i i have sometimes running our team here you know we do no something more than six no more than six uh, all right, and, if, six and if you're not meeting them you kill them 
Okay. And it's the sixth one. So they're all prioritized too. That's the other thing is I do is I have the team stack rank all of the different methods. So we can very, very clearly see that our, like last quarter, it was all about our BDR team. And I, I said, sacrifice working on, you know, this to prioritize that if we have to. And if we're not green up here, we're going to kill some things down here. And so it's kind of an active living, breathing thing. Like we're, we've got to go all in, but your kind of first couple methods, like you need to be able to hit those. Right. Right. And, but to your point in your case, you're not incentivizing on these. Uh, so it's not tied to comp or bonus or anything of that sort. Yeah. Which, and which I think it's important, right? Because I, I find a lot of the time, as you said, in, in startups, as an example, or high growth companies, there's a new priority yeah, tomorrow because you know, some, something changes in the market or with a, one of our competitors or, or whatever the sort is. Yeah. And if, and again, V2 mom takes into account time. So for me at, at Aperio, our V2 mom, we did annually with a, every six months. So at the half, we would do a refresh and kind of revise and freshen and reprioritize here. Things move so freaking fast. It's quarterly for my own personal one or like the, my team's one. So every quarter we're saying, okay, What's our vision? What are we trying to get done? What are the two or three things that we know we can crush? That's great. So as we wrap up on this concept, where would be a good resource? Like, did you read a book on this blog post? What's the best way for someone who wants to dig deeper on something like this? There's actually a trailblazer or trailhead that Salesforce did on it. So you can go and like get certified on that. In Mark's book, Behind the Cloud, he talks about be to mom. If people want to reach out to me, I'm, I'm happy to share kind of some of my templates and I have a little deck of a workshop to take people through to come up with it. Cause that's another important thing I found with it is I'm not dictating this. Like we're generating this together. Like this is our strategic plan and you want it to be aspirational. It should make you a little uncomfortable, you know, how big and bold you you're, trying to be with what you want to accomplish. I love it. I love it. This is, this is a, a different approach to our second segment of this show. <laughs> but I think we were all intrigued and, and this was a really interesting, actionable takeaway for everyone. So I, I think this was great. What we're going to get you to do now that we've gone really deep, we're going to go a little bit more fun in our last segment. We'll get you to stick around and we'll be right back to take a look at some of the personal journeys that Lani has taken along her path. Right back here on The Marketer's Journey. All right. So you have been through acquisitions, high growth companies where there's just so much time, right? I mean, I'm sure time is you know always on your side, but Kidding aside here, it's always crazy and insane. How do you make time for yourself, for your family? How do you take breaks amid all the high-level expectations? So my husband and I put a high price or really prioritize having fun with our kids. And I am a boy mom, and clearly my husband is a man. And so I've just learned that whatever they're interested in, I'm interested in. And they are all about skiing. 
snow and water. And so that's, that's what we do is, um, we try to get people together. We're, we're very fortunate in that we met all of our best friends in daycare. So when we're doing the drop up and pick up, we literally met two other families and the daycare was called Poco Loco, which don't ask why we picked that daycare. Cause it yeah. means a little bit crazy. <laughs> deprived (laughs) we met some other a little bit crazies there and now we have this group that these are like my kids cousins these are my best friends these are this is the the family that we choose and we go on all these fabulous trips not fancy but just like one of our favorite trips is we drive three hours north to a lake we rent a big house and we taught every single kid to water ski I taught nine kids and two adults to water ski, which I love doing. And Were you driving the boat or now? No, I'm the person in the water. See, so if you want to teach, here's the key to teaching people how to water ski. A lot of people don't do this, but it's, I think it's important. You need one person actually in the water with the person learning, helping them kind of stay focused, keep their ski tips, you know, ski tips up, Hit not get them up. cross. Yeah. Yeah. Stay in your squat. <laughs> I'm staying. <laughs> yeah, don't pull her up. <laughs> so that's me hours later and really freezing. <laughs> yeah, no and then you got to sit there and kind of watch them. You know, oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Once, once they're up, you're not along for that boat ride. No, no. But, you know, having that kind of, you know, being active, with the kids, seeing them master something and learn something that has been just so enjoyable for me and my husband. Same thing with snow skiing. We love to like get an instructor, although now they're way better than me. So it's kind of funny. I'm like, I call, um, I call our ski trips, um, mom abuse because they take me on all these runs that I've like no business being on. (laughs) And so I'll be yelling at him. I'm like, this is mom abuse. Yeah, mine, mine are, my oldest is getting to that point where I've become more, I, I ski a lot too, and I've become more cautious naturally because we all have to go to work tomorrow or the day after at the very least. But it's, you know, it, it pushes you, it keeps you young, right? It does. It does. My, my kids have told me one time they said to me, they said, mom, we're really glad that you haven't lost your kid. And I felt like that was the biggest compliment that they could give me because I do try to just have fun playing with them, you know, like go out in the yard, shoot hoops, whatever, practice lacrosse with my other one. So that's the kind of stuff we like to do. Amazing. I love that. I feel like you'd get along really well with my, with my wife. Laddie, this has been so much fun. I think each of these segments, we learned a little bit about you, a lot for, for marketers to aspire to, no matter what point in their career they're at, getting started, trying to find that break, or just trying to be a better leader. So this has been truly helpful for everyone who's been tuning into this podcast out of nowhere. Take a look at the entire marketer's journey list of episodes. Every week we're meeting really interesting leaders, different perspectives. And I think you'll learn a lot every time. I definitely have today. Thank you so much, Ladney. This has been The Marketer's Journey. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 